2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, says this. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself to you, that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. We've been working through 2 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he's dealt with and spent a lot of time with for years and working in them. And now some false apostles, some false teachers have came in. They corrupted it, and he's in defense. And he's defending his truth. He's defending the gospel. So the big idea this morning is reject false teaching and stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks that it is the living word of God, that you do speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray this morning as we just look at this passage, that you would open our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would work, that you would remove every distraction, that we would be encouraged, that we would be encouraged to stay faithful to you. You would guide us and you would help us. Lord, I pray that you be with those who are just struggling emotionally, physically, spiritually. Just give them the grace and the strength that they need. Lord, just thanks for your goodness to us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Fathers will do, um, and parents will do, uh, a lot of things that are, at the end, they wonder, that was kind of foolish. Why, why, why did I do that? Just ask any 13-year-old who's an umpire for Little League Baseball. And what did he, what do they see all the time? They, all these problems come up and these parents will, something will happen, a pitch will go the wrong way, somebody doesn't like something, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, these parents who woke up that morning all excited about watching their child play baseball, watch the event, uh, they end up in this massive brawl and, and they are just fighting and then when they're done with it, they're thinking, 
What just happened? What did I do? That was foolish. This is kind of what Paul is addressing. People have said this is, they've, Paul's, they've called this Paul's foolish talk. And he's using great irony in this. And he's asking this church, how did this happen? How did you get to the point where you were accepting false teaching? We will act foolish for a lot of things that we are passionate about. But how did this church that he spent seven years in, how did this church get to this place where he's, he's now writing like his fourth letter to them and dealing with all these issues? How did they get to the point where they're accepting a false gospel, false teachings, they're adding things to Jesus? Where he was afraid. He was afraid that they would lose their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I think they got in this situation by just the activity that they saw. They saw these super apostles come in, all these, these flamboyant, convincing, cool, charismatic speakers, and they, they saw them attract this crowd, and they thought, that's got to be truth. So the activity of things sucked them up. Apathy got to them. You know, they were just maybe doing their thing, going to work every day, going to church, and they'd lost their passion for the gospel, and they got absorbed into a culture, living their ordinary life like many of us, and we can miss, and if we're not careful, fall into false teachings. We need to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says to us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is what we have been called to, this faithfulness to Jesus Christ, a faithfulness to the faith is worth fighting for. That's what Paul is demonstrating in this passage in 2 Corinthians 11. In this passage, in the next couple chapters, he's demonstrating that it is, he's active in the fight against false teaching, and he's also an example of what it looks like to be in the fight against false teaching, and what it looks like to stay faithful to Jesus. And he does it in this passage in three kind of pictures. One, the first picture is a father's passion. The second one is, is, is exposing false teachings problems. And at the end, just he, he demonstrates the fate that we need to ponder. But first, he gives this picture of a father's passions. It says, if you, would just, if you would wish to bear with me in a little foolishness. And he's like, do bear with me. In verse 2, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And, and then he speaks later in verses 5 through 11 about all these accusations that he's heard. And, and, and Paul's like, this is, I've given my life to these people. I've given his, his life to this church, to these people. He looks at them as a father would a child. He's their spiritual father. And he's just fed up at this point with all the attacks these false apostles have given to him. They, they said, hey, you know what? You can't, don't listen to Paul, they've told me. He's, he's not 
articulate. He, he, isn't, he doesn't say things with swagger. He's, that must not be from God. He, he didn't take money from you when he came to preach. He worked making tents. What kind of guy does that in that culture? They thought if you didn't sell what you were believing in, you must have thought it was cheap and free and not worth anything. And Paul came into Corinth not, not taking money, and it ticked people off. Who, who do you think you are? You'll, you'll take money from poor people of Macedonia to teach us, but you won't take our money? Who do you think you are? You can't be a true apostle. You don't care about us. And Paul's reaction to this is as a, as a father feeling this for a church. He's getting fed up, and he just says, no, I, I do. What, what do, you, do you think I don't care about you? I do. God knows that I do, that he, he loves them like a father, and it fueled in him this fatherly passion for the church because he was afraid that they were going to lose their faith. It says he felt them and treated them like they were a betrothed woman to a man, which in that culture was a big deal to get betrothed or engaged. So when Jesus was born and, and and Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he, wanted, he was conscious of it. He was going to put her away privately. He didn't want to embarrass her. Back then, this was a big deal. So a woman would get engaged, and there would be a whole year of betrothment. And it was the duty of the father of that daughter to make sure in that year that in every way she could keep herself, he would make sure she stayed pure. Deuteronomy talks about these laws. And Paul said, this is what I feel for you. I feel like a father who has betrothed his daughter to Christ and now, I can't, I can't protect you. You're, you. I'm afraid you're going to lose the faith. He feels this great responsibility towards them. And he feels this reality that he cannot deny. He feels like they've fallen into the trap of the serpent who deceived Eve by his cunning. That, that there's, they, they, people have come in and they want to lead them astray. And they're starting to listen to these false teachers and these false beliefs and he wants the resistance to continue and he's going to make sure it continues in verse 12 it says and what i'm doing i will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same term as we do i'm I'm going to undermine it this is this is like a papa bear who saw this false teaching come in. He's like, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. He's he's got this responsibility he feels to the church. He sees that they've been tricked, they've been deceived, and he goes, I'm just going to keep fighting. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to pursue this. Remember in 2018, the horrific story came out in Michigan, the gymnastics with Larry Nassar. He just abused hundreds and hundreds of of girls. Well, one father in particular, Randall McGraves, had three daughters who he wanted them to be greatly successful. Thought that putting in all these right schools, all these right situations was wonderful. He got up one morning for the day of they, that his daughter stood in court. He said, I was planning to go to work that day after this. I hadn't heard the impact statements that my daughters made. And he stood with them in court and he heard them talk and say, what happened to them. And the papa bear in him raged, if you remember. 
and the most her- heroic father stood there talking to the judge and said, can I have five minutes with him? Can you give one minute with him? And the judge said, no, no. And he says, well then, and he took off after him, dove in and started to go after the man who had violated his daughters and every father in America said, go. This is how Paul felt with this church, with these false teachers. Uh, this is the responsibility. It's my job to keep you pure. And now these people have come in, they've lied to you, they've tricked you, and, and I, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And he's responding to this foolishness. Randall McGraves, after that, the, the court obviously did not press any charges against him. Everybody understood his situation And he said, though, at the end, after he apologized to the court, he said, I have to live with the fact that I failed to protect my daughters. The Apostle Paul felt that way in this. This is what he's saying. I'm like a betrothed, I'm like a father trying to protect you from the church. He was fueled with this passion. Let me ask you, do you have that kind of desperation for your own spiritual life? where you are just passionate, that you don't want to get distracted, get pulled away. Do you have that kind of desperation for your immediate family and their spiritual condition? Do you have that kind of desperation for the corporate life of this church that we've been called together to pray for each other? That's all we can do. This is how Paul felt. He had that kind of desperation. He doesn't want false teaching to come in. He wants people not to get pulled away. So we need to pray. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Like, like a papa bear going after somebody who has violated his daughter. That, that's how Paul addressed the situation. And we need to have that same passion for our own personal lives spiritually in our walk with Christ, for our own family, for our own church body. I want to protect this. I want to protect each other. I'm going to pray for each other. This is how Paul was. There was this father's passion. And then he goes into the false teachings problems. He says in verse 4, for, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you received, he, he's kind of criticizing them. He goes, you guys put up with it too easily. He, he's, ex- saying, he's expressing this. this don't accept it. Here's the problem with false teaching It fails to offer true, full hope. The gospel is that Paul preached that the way to God is that we did not follow God's way on our own. We went away from God, left to ourselves. We would be separated from God from eternity. God loves us so much. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, who willingly came, lived the life we could not live, went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again, Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the hope of the world. That's the gospel. And ever since then, people have come in and tried to add to that. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Paul said the same thing to the church at Galatia. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel 
of Christ. This is the issue. So there's a false teachings problem. He says that the things, he does not want them led astray. And he goes, your thoughts, he's concerned that their thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And Paul doesn't say exactly in this passage what all the distortions were. But there were just specific distortions that were going into that church. These people came in, these super apostles started adding things to Jesus, saying things. And Paul says, it's not the gospel. That's not faith. That's not true Christianity. That's not, what, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was leading them astray, but it sounded so good. Augustine in the AD 400 said this, we, we must be aware of the man who abounds in eloquent nonsense. And so much the more if the hearer is pleased with what is not worth listening to and thinks that because the speaker is eloquent, what he says must be true. It still happens today. We don't know all the things that the false teachers in Corinth and that city and in that church were spreading. He doesn't give specific things, but what he says is they were spreading things. And this morning, I just wanted to mention to us as a church in our day, at least four false gospels that I want you to be aware of, false teachings, false realities that aren't the gospel of Christ that would lead people astray and are leading people astray in our day, in our area. The first one is the prosperity gospel. The gospel that teaches that God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and happy. That's his plan for your life. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea that in the reason you don't have wealth or the reason you don't have happiness or health is because you don't have enough faith. But if you just had enough faith, you would be able to have all these things. And for many people, we can kind of picture some of that. And There are people on TV who do and say this truth with passion and angry faces. And then there are people on the other side who say the exact same thing with big smile on their faces and say, this is the gospel. God wants you to be happy in life. He wants you to have money and success, and people are buying into it. It's not the gospel. It's destroying countries and cultures who believe that this is what God wants. This is, this is Christianity. That's a false gospel, and it's everywhere we see. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this trap. That if God loved me, he would give me what I wanted. And if I'm not getting what I'm, am I wanting, then, there, then God must not really care about me. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. So the second one I want you to be aware of is a thing called progressive Christianity which encompasses a lot of things. And what I would just say to you, if you've never heard the phrase this morning, be aware and re- do some research on it. Progressive Christianity comes from a belief, not, not everything, it's a big umbrella, but I'm going to read parts of what people would say progressive Christianity is. Progressive Christianity would say they believe that following, this is from their own literature, believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an awareness and experience of the sacred and the oneness and unity of life. 
They affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but, provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life. And that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. Three, they they seek a community that is all-inclusive, all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians, questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women's and men's, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. They, They know that we behave towards one another and it's fullest expressions of what we believe. It all sounds just wonderful and peachy and this is what you good people would do. It's a false gospel, and here's where it possibly, and we need to be careful, it's a big umbrella term, there's many different categories. But basically, in many ways, it comes from a belief with a view of the Bible as primarily just a human book, and it emphasizes personal consciousness and practices rather than certainty and, un- and beliefs. There's just no ultimate truth. The Bible is a wise, good book, but it's not the living word of God that's authoritative. And we need to be careful. We also need to be careful as a church. What's stirred many young people, and every week, many people who grew up in a church just like this and many others are walking away from their faith into this kind of a belief. And one of the reasons is they grew up in churches like this all across the country where they were never able to ask hard questions. They couldn't doubt. They couldn't question truth. And when they did, they were given pat little answers, patted on the head and said, go away. And people have started to wake up and all of a sudden the internet came on and they're getting their phones and every single day they're getting blasted by thousands and thousands of pieces of information that are overwhelming them and they read this stuff and say, how can God be God? How can truth be truth? There's all this stuff. And they haven't been grounded in the Word of God. We give them cheap, soft answers to real hard realities. But it's still a false gospel. It's still not right. There is an ultimate truth. The Bible is the Word of God. God has a way to live and a way not to live. And the reality of all these two, that I think the prosperity gospel and the progressive Christianity, false gospel, One of the reasons I think it's come up is with the next two. Why some of these have come where kids have grown up in churches who said they believe the Bible are now questioning everything and they can't find an answer. They're always looking for the other question. They can never land on truth. One of the answers, I believe, is because not only is there a prosperity gospel in our day, there's a progressive Christianity, false gospel in our day, and I would call it a political gospel in our day that takes Jesus and wraps him around some political category, either Republican or Democrat or Independent, and people's faith gets wrapped up in that. Christian nationalism is not the gospel. The idea that America is the last hope of Christianity is a false gospel. Christianity is the last hope of America. 
And there has been, even amongst Christians, this whole view that I'm going to take Jesus and my political view and my political faith and I'm going to push my politics more than Jesus Christ. And young people are looking at that, people with Christians, and saying, there's nothing in the church. There's nothing there. I I can get that anywhere. That's nonsense. Why do I need Jesus? Why, Why mess up these systems with Jesus and some kind of morality? We need to be very careful with what Paul says, you add anything to Jesus. For if anyone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, we can't add anything to Jesus. It's Jesus Christ alone and him crucified, risen from the dead. And probably the fourth false gospel that I think is prevalent, unfortunately, often in our Western Christianity. And statistics are proving it and showing it to be true. Not only is there a problem with the prosperity gospel, but I would say a problem with false progressive Christianity teaching, a political gospel where we wrap our faith around our politics, but I would call it just a passive Christianity or a cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap Grace, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. It's just this passive Christianity where there's just, I accept Jesus and that's it. I just go to church, and that's it. I can just kind of do my thing. There's no commitment. To be a follower of Christ, God doesn't ask me to change my life. There's no transformation that takes place. That's a false gospel. If you believe I have a faith that says, I just prayed some prayer when I was little, and now I'm a Christian, but I have to put no effort, no striving for my faith, no, no, no discipline in my faith, that's a false gospel. That's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to a gospel, and he called us to strive, to to work out your own salvation. Not just a passive, cheap grace. And and those things are false teachings. We need to say, what, what has God called me to? Here's the fate that Paul said would happen to the teachings of his day and those of our day. He says at the end, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. False teaching, a false gospel, adding anything to Jesus, Jesus plus anything else, is deadly, Paul says, it's deceptive, and it is derailing. And their end will correspond to their deeds. They will be unmasked. They will be exposed. So how do we stay faithful to Jesus and resist false teaching? i got five things that will close. With Acts chapter 11, verse 23, the church in Corinth, the, the, the gospel started to spread to the Gentiles, and they were wondering, sure, is this, is this good? Is this, is this right? So the church sent Barnabas. In Acts 11, 23, Paul go, Barnabas goes into the church in Antioch, he sees what's going on, and it says this, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. How, how do we 
address and stay faithful to Jesus in a culture that is filled with false gospels. Just everywhere you look, there's a false gospel. Jesus plus, Jesus this, believe this. There's gospel, false good news everywhere. They weren't sure Barnabas was in, when, Ante, when he went to Antioch. Is, is the, did the real gospel come there? So he went to see the church in Antioch. He walks in, and when he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and then he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. How do we stay faithful and resist false teaching? First, we just ask for the grace of God. Ask for the grace of God. You may be struggling with certain beliefs. Do I really believe God? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is this really the right direction I should be going? Ask God for the grace. Just pray. So God, help me to believe. Help me not to be blindsided by false teaching. Ask for the grace of God. Anchor in truth. Barnabas came in, saw a great thing going on, and then he still exhorted them. He exhorted them to stay faithful. Know the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's hearing the word. It's reading the word. Um, We are the most biblically illiterate society of Christians in, in generations. We don't know the word of God. Anchor in truth. Act towards faithfulness. Keep, keep walking. Doubt your doubts just as much as you doubt your faith and keep walking in faithfulness and then expect God to be active. God is always active in the world. Expect God to be active in the world. And fifthly, and I think most importantly for us, is stay awed by the grace of the gospel. Barnabas walked into the scene, this church at Antioch. I think he walked in and when he saw it, he said he saw the grace of God and he was glad. I think he was in awe of what God could do. We got to stay in, in awe of the grace of God. How much in awe are you of the gospel of grace in your life? Of what it really means to be a Christian? Last Sunday afternoon, when all of us went home down at the Memorial Golf Tournament, a guy named Patrick Cantley held up a trophy that he had won. But it was an awkward win for him. He said it was such a weird situation. Because the day before, the leader of the tournament, John Rahm, was, had a six-shot lead going into last Sunday's tournament where he was just going to win it all. If you don't know much about golf, if you have a six-shot lead going into a big tournament like that, that's like going into the fourth quarter of a football game, seven touchdowns ahead, or like 11 runs in a baseball game in the ninth inning. There's just like almost no way he was going to lose this. A million dollars was on the line. That's what John Rahm was ready to win. The end of his match, a couple guys walk up to him and tell him, you were tested and diagnosed with COVID. You have to leave the tournament. Which was all the golfers had agreed on. Devastated, he walks off, but the tournament goes on. And then Patrick Cantley comes six shots behind the day before. Comes in and wins in a 19th hole playoff. One million dollars. And he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he shouldn't have won it. And he said at the end, it was such a weird situation. Everyone, me included, knows it would be totally different today if that had not 
happened. But he still got the trophy. He still got the million dollars. He's still the winner. There's no asterisk by his name. He won the Memorial Golf Tournament even though he knew he didn't really deserve it. That's the gospel. That's the grace of the gospel. We stand forgiven, cleansed of our sins, right with God, eternity with all that that comes with, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus came and took our sins, and he took on him our sins. And we, who should not have won it, who should have this privilege, we stand forgiven, free, right with Christ. That, That should awe us. And as we get awed by the gospel, we're going to want to know Jesus more. We're going to want to dig into Scripture more. We're going to be more aware of false teachings and know that this isn't right. We need to stay faithful to Jesus by asking for the grace of God, anchoring ourselves in truth, acting towards faithfulness, expecting God to be active, and staying awed by the grace of God that he would love sinners like us so much that we could have hope and have eternal life.